This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network, live from the Pacific Ocean. Okay, no, we're actually on an island. It's called Maui from the Akaku Maui Community Media Center, live to the rest of the world. And today, we'll be joined by our Midwest correspondent going through news of, let's just face it, Holly weirdness and is the deep state actually real and who created it and who does it work against all that stuff is coming up in just a sec before we get to all of that hi welcome to my humble little show my name is shaggy jenkins i am a political thinker yeah and also a problem solver critical thinker guy just left of normal insane but always centered in common sense you can find me or anything else about me at my website shaggyjenkins.com or follow me on social media at shaggy live getting ready to debut a new show on radio nope tonight after this show please welcome midwest correspondent from racine wisconsin ron Perti. i like to call it the ice planet of hoth <laughs> because if I, if I go outside and my tauntaun doesn't make it past the first marker, I'll see you in H-E double hockey sticks. Because I don't I – don't, see, that's the thing. With my show, I could have just said that. Here, I have to be careful when I, when I, when I yell at someone, which is coming up, and I can't wait to, to yell at that foot fetishist. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing is because we can say words like hell, and let's get into our – yeah. yeah, let's get into our first story because speaking of hell – Ron, what do you know about the whole big confession and huge fallout that came from Uma Thurman last weekend? Um, I know that um, Tarantino is a monster. I know that uh, he made her do a stunt that could have killed her. I know that... um, well, you don't even have to hear it from Uma Thurman, but you just have to listen to Howard Stern, and you hear from, like, it was 2003, and you hear him talk about how, what Roman Polanski did with that 13-year-old oh, uh, oh, oh, yeah. was okay. I know, but before we get to the Roman Polanski thing, here's Tarantino's defense. Now, this one just came out today in The Hollywood Reporter. Tarantino says that <sighs> Harvey Weinstein was the one that wouldn't give Uma the footage to show that she was actually legitimate in her claim that the wreck could have been prevented. Furthermore, he's saying that as they practiced this thing, in his mind, he thought that if you drive straight on a road one direction, driving straight on a road the other direction is no big deal. However, the S-curve that she went into that caused the wreck, had they been running as they had practiced all day as they were setting up that shot the car would have been running in the opposite direction and the accident never would have happened so tarantino is saying i have a lot of regrets as a director and uma's situation is is one of them ron are you buying it (laughs) i uh, no anybody who believes tarantino I have some swampland in Florida that I would like to sell you. It's the thing that, that Stacy and I are working out where we're selling all this swampland to people and telling them that they can put up high-rise apartments. Yeah, because Tarantino, he's, he's, he's a monster. And it started off for me, my disdain for this bald foot fetishist. And he is one. 
let's not let's let's just be honest here. Um, he started losing any respectability with me when it came to Django Unchained, and it started off very small and very simple. It was like, okay, that movie was a half an hour too long. <laughs> it could have been, okay. All the all the stuff in the in the in the woods or in the in the mountains rather when he's teaching him how to shoot and how to be a bounty hunter, etc., etc. Could have been a prequel. Didn't, yeah, yeah, didn't need it. Didn't need it. Have some web content. You know, they are switching to digital, Quentin. You don't have to shoot everything on film anymore. That's when it started. Mm. And then I started to downright hate him after uh, The Hateful Eight. So that, I mean, because that movie was garbage. That was The Hateful Three Hours I'm Never Gonna Get Back. And then things started trickling out. Because I have it on good authority for a long time. This thing, because if you've seen him lately, he doesn't look human. This thing was dating someone by the name of Leanne Spider Baby. Does that name ring a bell to you? No. I'm lost okay. here. Leanne Spider Baby was a horror, um, I guess you could say journalist. She would cover movie, horror movies, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And then she had a book come out. And that book was, I want to say, 50% plagiarized. Really? He stayed, he stayed with her for a little while. Uh, I, mean, I guess she had cute feet. Um, uh, what else happened? And then uh, uh, she lost all credibility, and then his started to dwindle. Um, when, it, when, you come, when you come out of that class of like 92, 93, and you look at Kevin Smith and you say, wow, you know what? That guy, he may smoke pot, and he may be a pervert, but he's up front with his perversions. And he's not defending Roman Polanski. Mm. So how does Kevin looking better than than somebody who made the film uh, 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 Pulp Fiction? Now, here's the thing, too, is because the Roman Polanski defense that that Tarantino put up is not quite as grievous as something that I read in in, in the latest little Hollywood report that came out today. Ron Uma Thurman said that Harvey Weinstein sexually assaulted her during the course of filming of Kill Bill, and Tarantino said that he would walk away from the movie if Harvey apologized? Oh, and by the way, Tarantino wasn't there when the apology happened. Is this a guy that is truthfully, because he's trying to portray himself as somebody that was fighting the Hollywood machine just like everybody else, and, you know, he was going to be like... Okay, well, Harvey was just too powerful, but I made him apologize to her for sexual assault. Okay, he he wants to act like he's not Hollywood. He is Hollywood. You want to know who's not Hollywood? Robert Rodriguez. All right, the guy does everything out of Texas. He's never left Texas. He you know he's got a studio down there. Everything. Uh, let's see what else happened with Robert. Oh, uh, the fact that he left the Directors Guild just so he could get Frank Miller a co-directing credit. On Sin City. Hmm. Well, okay. Yeah. Let me let me bring this up because Tarantino. Getting back to to the stories that are out about him, Tarantino knew about Uma Thurman getting assaulted by Harvey Weinstein. Said that he went to Harvey Weinstein and made him apologize. But Ron, answer me a question: Who is Quentin Tarantino dating? Um, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it's some kind of beast from the, the Seven Fathoms, because uh, who would ever find, find that thing attractive? Well, here's the problem. 
you're right on both counts, but the beast was given that reputation by none other than Harvey Weinstein. She has been brought up time and time again, and especially from people like Peter Jackson and other more qualified directors, Quentin Tarantino is in a relationship with Miro Savino. Not anymore. Oh, yeah, but remember, when he was with her was during the time that she, too, was getting sexually assaulted by Weinstein. Uh-oh, I'm about to go into Alex Jones territory here. Maybe, maybe the two were in cahoots about the whole thing. Quentin would bring the girls in. It's like, it's like playing t-ball with ladies. You set them up on the tee, and Harvey comes in and, and um, uh, finishes in their potted plant. Uh, that's the sick thing about it, because you're going, at what point does Tarantino's actions look more like complicity versus... He's a wingman. Do you really think so? I do. I, re I would not put anything past him. I wouldn't. You know, he, uh, there's just something, and what really hurts the most is one of my favorite movies is True Romance. Mm. Um, he didn't direct it. He wrote it, which is what he should stick to doing um, because he needs somebody to come in there and filter his stuff. So when his editor died after um, uh, Inglorious Bastards, when she died, and then he got somebody else. That's why Django was a half an hour too long. That's why the the Hateful Eight is a, a giant sack of garbage. Um, he needs somebody that filters him. Um, and True Romance is such a great movie. Tony Scott, rest in peace. He was a great director. Um, but Tarantino is this. I mean, I'm still directing, so I mean, I, oh, it's yeah. kind of like me. It's kind of like me going, I mean, I gotta be, no, I don't have to be careful. I mean, I'll, I'll be the, the Eli Roth in white because Eli Roth is just evil. Okay. Uh, I'll be the one that speaks for good. Tarantino is a monster, plain and simple. I think he's Harvey Weinstein's wingman. I think he sets him up for him to knock him down. I mean, he was dating Mirasor, and you heard what Paul Sorvino said when he found out. Mm, yeah. You know, Paulie, Paulie from Goodfellas? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Harvey, do you really want to? You really want to piss off Paulie from Goodfellas? He said if he saw Harvey on the street, he would take care of him. Yeah, and, and I, I can't argue with that. And the thing is, is for people that don't know who Paul Sorvino is, he doesn't mean put him up in a nice hotel and leave a mint on the pillow. <laughs> take care of. It's a whole. It's a whole different kind of. It's a sarcastic care. It's like a. You get the picture. Just look it up later. Um, this is the thing about this whole crazy situation, though. Ron, we're starting to see a pattern of not only the original allegations against Weinstein come out, but as time goes on, more and more people, especially people like Tarantino, seem like they had a lot more knowledge than they were publicly disclosing about the awfulness they knew and had witnessed existing. I really think that Tarantino – not Tarantino, but Weinstein and Trump, because this always goes back to the cheeseburger. I think that they uh, uh, shared the same how-to guide for sexual assault, and they had a, a competition going just like the you know, tallies and so forth. Uh, I think I think there's a lot of people who have a lot to answer for with this. I think there's a lot of people who knew, a lot of people who decided that their career was more important than – your fellow man, which brings us back to what was it last week when we talked about good old Fred Rogers? Mm -hmm. You know, what, you know what Mr. Rogers would think about that? 
Mr. Rogers would take up arms and we'd see him with like, you know, bandoleros around his chest and he would show up with some, you know, AR 15s and he'd be loaded for bear. I know. Daniel the Tiger would have a harness and Henrietta would be riding with a Ma Duke on the back. You know, I mean, it would. Exactly. Exactly. This... And it would just, I mean, that's just. If you are so self centered that you know all about this and you won't do anything because you're worried about what's going to happen to you. What does that say for the rest of humanity? Yeah, here's the thing too is and I, I got to ask you this question. I think I I've, I've never posed this question to you before, but in light of Tarantino coming out and saying, "Yeah, I knew probably more than I let on." Ron, where does this end? Oh boy. I mean, that's like asking is is the the Me Too movement have they reached their uh, what where they need to be? I, I don't see. I think there's it's gonna be a long time before um, everything is out and everything is known and um, we're able to finally. I mean, can they? I mean, if he if he knew about all this stuff, if he was complicit in it, granted Harvey can go to jail for it, but I'm not sure what the statute of limitations is on a lot of this stuff. But can Tarantino, can the, can the balding weirdo go to jail too? Now, this is the thing that I got to ask about this situation because if I was looking at his public statement today, I'm like, this is a, an admission of guilt. This is mm -hmm. this is putting me at the scene of a crime that could possibly have a felonious outcome. Yeah, he he, and that's the thing is he's got a really he, he he's like me. He's got a very big mouth, and uh, the filter is broken. However, I don't put myself in situations where I'm going to incriminate myself for something I've done. Mm. You know, so it just you know, yeah, because you know when when I bring up the question where will it end, and, and we talk about the Me Too movement and stuff like that, a lot of People are seeing all of these confessions from Tarantino and other people coming out, and even they begin to wonder, look, how much of this entertainment has not been tainted at this point? Uh, I mean, I, it's hard to – I think this actually came up before when it was like what – I mean, can you separate the art from the artist type thing? Mm. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people who are coming out now and saying that they, they regret working with Woody Allen and they'll never work with him again. But then you look at his books, like if you're if you want to be a comedy writer, look at the book Side Effects and you're like, that's really funny stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel bad reading it and laughing because he's a monster. I don't, however, feel bad. Uh, I, uh, uh, well, I do, however, feel uh, horrible when I even think of Tarantino's name now. I think he uh, – and then he wants to ruin Star Trek for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this is the thing because we're going to have to segue out of Tarantino into another Hollywood story that is uh, decades in the making. Um, Ron, here's the thing. Let's go from sexual assault to murder. That's a light subject. Oh. Well, of course. Okay, so for years and years and years and years and years, and one of our favorite actors is caught up in this, Christopher Walken, because he was there the night that it happened. Allegations have swirled around what was the true events leading up to the disappearance and death of one young actress named Natalie Wood. And what do you know of this case's history, Ron? 
Um, I do know that I know what the the captain of the boat said after Natalie uh, vanished. He heard Robert Wagner. Or he saw Robert Wagner grab a drink and say, "If she's not back in ninety minutes, we're gonna leave." Like she left somewhere. Not that he maybe. Oh, I don't know. Pushed her into the water. And I remember at one point wasn't. Um, uh, I know Christopher Walken was there, but at one point wasn't he actually considered a person of interest? He was considered a person of interest, if I'm not mistaken. In the late 2016, early 2017, kind of inquiry that came up led to the case being reopened. Walken was kind of a person of interest because he was present the night that Natalie Wood went overboard. However, it later came out that Walken was well intoxicated, duh, and possibly passed out below deck when this whole thing transpired. But now, investigators are looking at it going, maybe this wasn't death by misadventure. Oh, I'm, I'm a firm believer in the fact that this was murder. Um, I never trusted Robert Wagner as far as I could throw him. He had when he has one of those smarmy. I'm going to sell you a used car that's going to break down the minute you leave the lot. Faces. Mm. And and the thing was is his story always did kind of present itself under an air of mystery. However, remember how we were just talking about the Me Too movement back mm-hmm. when this crime transpired. Robert Wagner was a well-respected well uh liked and well received actor so when he come off of the boat and said oh that silly woman must have just done something and ended up dead a lot of people took him at face value isn't this the kind of thing that the me too movement has that said look back at our history and go come on people give women a fair shake people should have looked at his confession and said that's a little flimsy and we're not going to let you get away with it just because you're the man about town. Well, I hope he enjoys being a well-respected, well-liked prison inmate because I have a feeling at the I have a feeling this is the big win. Mm. You know, at how many years later I think I think he's finally going to go away or actually he might not even do any time. You know, he might come up with it might be um uh, uh, not uh, murder. What will they say? They'll plead out for something. Manslaughter. Yeah, manslaughter or um, um, not. There's another one too. Um, um. Well, here's uh, the thing, because yeah. all of this stuff wouldn't be coming to light if, Ron, and I gotta ask you this. They say investigators were approached by new witnesses. So you mean to tell me somewhere in the waters off of Catalina Island in 1981, it was more than the captain, it was more than Walken, it was more than Wagner that saw the events around Natalie Wood's death, and they took four decades almost to come out? Look, Aquaman is very busy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know, especially because the new Aquaman is Jason Momoa, and even my wife chases him. Um, But getting back into this, why does it seem to you that Hollywood kind of let Wagner have this great respectable career in the 80s following Wood's death, and just now we're going, hey, that was kind of shady, the whole thing that happened? Because when one bad thing happens on a huge scale, 
everything starts to snowball down and everybody who has done something bad will their their follies will see the light of day Mm. And Robert Wagner is just the next on that list. Now, when it comes to, the, to that list, though, we're talking about a list of, once again, influential men that got away with terrible, terrible acts. And Natalie right. Woods, before any of this modern hoopla, the Me Too movement or anything started, Ron, Hollywood has this problem with open secrets. People live openly discussed Wagner's potential role in Natalie's death since the event happened back in November of 1981. Why is it when there is a known secret in Hollywood, it takes so long to have repercussions in the real world? I think people put actors and actresses on pedestals. And I think they don't want to see their heroes and their favorites. Uh, they don't want to see them in a, in a negative light. So, of course, they're like, well, why don't we just, you know, that's just that's just hearsay and conjecture. There's no proof of that. And then Arthur Curry Aquaman shows up and he's like, I'm a everything. You know, <laughs> so you, you kind of have to. And, and now is the time of where we put people, the wrong people on a pedestal. I mean, the Kardashians still have a TV show, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. And now, uh, speaking of train wrecks, here's the thing. Um, this train wreck of a television career that, that, that Wagner was allowed to have, and I only call it train wreck because, in hindsight, investigators are even going, when Wagner wrote that 2009 book, he openly admitted to there being a conflict. And usually... When you have a conflict seconds before a disappearance, that kind of shows some sort of intent of harm. But that book came out in 2009. It's 2018, and just now we're getting the impetus to open up the investigation. So with everything that's transpired, and I mean the whole course of time, Wagner going on, having a career, walking, being able to... Okay, pardon the pun, walk away from all of this unscathed. Ron, what is the fallout if we find out Wagner actually did this thing that long ago? Uh, I believe the, the proper term is prison. Um, but like I said before, they might uh, plead out manslaughter and it's because it's been so long you know i mean oh let the guy off he's old now well then put him in, in old man prison then you know i mean where you get colonics every day and uh and it's from the the the, the aid that is not very gentle Mm-hmm. and that's the thing you know? too is because we always try to how do i say this when it comes to people that are in uh, uh celebrity we try to lessen the consequence of their terrible acts, but how important is it for young actresses, as well as just residents of California and even around Catalina Island in particular, how is important is it to them that this seeks some sort of final resolution of did he or didn't he? It's got to set the bar somewhere. You know, there has to be some kind of... Uh, uh, finalization to the whole thing where people say, okay, well, this is a precedent that's been set. 
even if it's 40 years later, you know, or whatever, you don't get away with what you've done. No, and I mean, we've we've seen this coming up to light with people that did movies in the 80s and 90s and stuff, and it's like, hey, remember all, all of that terrible things you did? So likelihood of <sighs> Wagner actually being found guilty, Ron, what would you put the bookie odds at? If I was in Vegas, I would have to go 50-50. Wow. All right, well, tell you what, stay close. Coming back, we're going to talk about the deep state that Republicans keep going off about. Did they create it? And to what purpose? You'll find out. Stay close. This is Shaggy Jenkins Show. This is Scientific American's 60 Second Science. I'm Karen Hopkin. In the United States, there's a holiday that goes hand-in-hand with romance. So much so that nine months later, there's a spike in the number of babies born. Valentine's Day? Wrong. It seems that people in the U.S. and other predominantly Christian countries have been having some very Merry Christmases indeed. That's according to a study in the journal Scientific Reports. Scientists have long wondered why, in Western countries, birth rates spike in September and early October. The prevailing hypothesis for this phenomenon postulates that there is a biological adaptation to the solar cycles. Luis Russia of Indiana University co-led the study. He notes that nine months before this baby boomlet is the winter solstice. And when the days grow shorter and the night grows long, well, humans seem to turn to procreation for recreation. However, this hypothesis was built on observations pretty much restricted to northern hemisphere countries and also culturally Christian countries. And some data suggested there might be something cultural going on. So, for instance, in Israel, it was previously observed that uh, communities associated with different religions have birth peaks at, at different times of the year. To try to separate the cultural from the biological, Russia teamed up with Joana Gonçalves of the Gulbenkian Institute of Science in Portugal. Together, they combed through data on a planetary level, comparing countries in the northern and southern hemispheres and countries with predominantly different cultures, in this case, Christian and Muslim. But they didn't look at when babies are born. They looked to see when, during the year, people around the world Google the word sex. Joana saw. What we found first was that Google, searches for sex on Google, are a very good proxy for sexual appetite and sexual offline sexual interest. And when we looked at close to 130 countries around the world, what we saw is that each country has a particular signature with peaks and valleys of interest in sexual content. Tsa says that those patterns were most similar for countries that shared a similar culture. This means that if you live in a culturally Christian country, whether you live in the northern hemisphere or in the southern hemisphere, you are more likely to have an increase in sexual appetites around Christmas. But if you live in a Muslim country, you are much more likely to conceive around Eid al-Fitr than at a different at another time of the year. Now, if you're still wondering what's so special about these holidays, Russia says that interest in sex coincides with a particular mood, a finding he made with the help of Twitter. We collected close to 50 billion tweets and showed that independently of the geography and independently of the particular culture, 
when we observe the, the surge of interest in, in, in sex, we also observe the appearance of a particular mood that can be best classified as a, a calm and happy and distressed mood that is maximized around Christmas for uh, Christian countries and maximized at the end of Ramadan with Eid for Muslim countries. All of which makes the following year's holiday family gathering just a little bit bigger. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Karen Hopkin. This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show from our little island home at the Akaku Maui Community Media Center on the Valley Isle of Maui. In the studios of KAKU FM, welcome back. We have got so much more to cover, including the deep state. Of course, before we get off to that, your deep host, yes, I fancy myself as deep, uh, you can be found, uh, well, I can be found at shaggylive.com or at... No, no, ShaggyJenkins.com or at ShaggyLife. I always get that backwards. Oh, a guy that is not mixed up today and has, in fact, been on point as we've talked about Wagner, Tarantino, and other kind of Hollywood dark history. The effervescent Ron Purty. Welcome back. Well, I am very pretty. Thank you very much for that. Uh, ah, you're so pretty, oh, so pretty. Uh, okay, it's true. Let's talk about a guy that fancies himself really, really pretty, Donald Trump. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Look, for some of our political news today, here's the thing: when Republicans, and and this comes out from the Hill, when Republicans have been surveyed as of late. They kind of align themselves with the school of thought that the FBI, the intelligence community, and even the Department of Justice are out to delegitimize Donald Trump. Okay, but Ron, I want to ask you a simple question before we go any further. <sighs> Why is it important that we notice there seems to be a coordinated effort from Republicans to delegitimize people like the FBI and Department of Justice. Um, I believe it all started back in the day when a young uh, up-and-coming artist um, was upset that his his art was not taken very seriously. And then he started watching Charlie Chaplin films, and he made the decision to wear a mustache like Charlie Chaplin. Oh. And then he killed six million people. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, look. Hitler comparisons aside, out of <clears throat> bombacity, we do have to kind of look at the similarities between the situation because Hitler is not the originator of that kind of a plan. And I mean, you but he know, made it popular. Yeah, he did make it popular, but guys before him, like Machiavelli and stuff, also kind of came up with the institutions that represent institutions of the people but delegitimize me need to be attacked and detracted from so that my lead is, you know, concrete. Ron, here's the thing. The FBI and the DOJ, as of lately, have been cast in this light by these Republicans as members of the deep state. What is the deep state? 
Uh, I think my hometown zone, not Racine, but I guess Wisconsin, Ron Johnson said it best when, there's a secret society that's out to go after the president, basically. <laughs> okay. Something that was used to perhaps, to perhaps delegitimize, uh, oh, I don't know, minorities in the past, and now it's come back to bite them in the keister. Okay, yeah, that's kind of a good little point to bring up, because here's the thing. Institutions, and especially the party of law and order, let's not forget... Republicans paint themselves as the party of law and order. Are they behaving in a lawful and orderly manner? Oh, sweet Jesus, no, sir. Okay, but the the party of law and order says that, hey, these institutions are out to delegitimize the president. How do you, in your opinion, how do you make that switch from these are the things – The Department of Justice, the FBI, the rule of law, the intelligence community, these are the things, the institutions that we fervently are known as being supporters of to, hey, these institutions are attacking our guy, so they must be wrong. How do you make that switch? Well, when you see something that is attacking uh, your best interest, uh, you're going to fight at it. You're going to go after it. You're not going to let it sit there and just kind of – yeah, you're not going to be like Warren Buffett today and be like, I lost $5 billion in the stock market. What am I going to do? And see, you know, um, that's something that I've got to bring up because when it comes to, you know, <laughs> how liberty is applied to us, typically Republicans have always favored the Department of Justice, have always favored the FBI because, let's just be honest, they've used those to marginalize minorities and women over to the course of decades right oh yeah without question that's 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 a uh, uh that's not even something that, that you have to discuss it's just a fact and and this is the thing that kind of bothers you because lately trump has been saying hey this whole nunez memo which you know before we go even any further yesterday i brought this up with stacy roberts out of, of florida i need to bring this up with you ron quick thoughts Devin Nunes's memo did it quote unquote vindicate President Trump. All it did was vindicate the fact that some trees were killed for no reason. Yikes. Because that's what a lot of detractors of this thing said. Even people on the Republican Party who took a look at the memo and said this is nothing but convoluted word puke. It makes no sense. It has no context to anything that's going on. And this is the scary part. It was probably altered. It was probably altered by Devin Nunes before it was presented to the president so that he would approve the release of the unaltered memo. <sighs> Ron, at the end of the day, why is or why does it seemed there seems to be a coordinated attack, not just from Trump, but from Trump's um, political base, to attack these institutions outright. Uh, first and foremost, um, I think we should never use the words release and Trump in the same sentence again. <laughs> Unless it's like an attack, release the Trump. Oh, Jesus. Um, He's like the Kraken with a comb over. 
He's he's the Kraken that wouldn't be stopped by the head of Medusa. Mm. Yeah, he's what would happen Um, if H.P. Lovecraft gave Cthulhu nightmares. Attached to her body anymore? Yeah, her head's not even attached to her body anymore. Such a loser. Anyway, um, I think that they're attacking the the institutions that they once um, championed because they're going after their their uh, their figurehead, and that's exactly what he is. He's a figurehead. You know, GOP doesn't stand for Grand Old Party anymore. It stands for Grand Old Putin. Yeah, and and that's the thing, too, is because it does seem coordinated, delegitimize the institutions that right now are finding out some pretty eye-opening things about, quote-unquote, their guy. Ron, i got to ask you. Because, look, it came out today, too, that Trump's lawyers – remember how Trump last week was like, oh, I'll sit down with Mueller, I'll sit down with Mueller. Trump's lawyers are now publicly being heard telling him, no, 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 never sit down with Mueller between GOP trying to delegitimize the investigation and the FBI and all the intelligence community, and now Trump's lawyers telling Trump to stay away. Ron, is this all part of a plan to hope that the Russian investigation gets swept under the rug before the president gets ensnared in it? You know, uh, I'm going to get geeky real quick. Okay. Um, if you've ever read the comic book Watchmen – You'll know where I'm going with this. I have a feeling right before Trump gets indicted, right before Mueller throws his hand into the air with some paper and says, we got him, like Janine from Ghostbusters. We got one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that something cataclysmic is going to happen that's going to shift the focus off of him onto that. Now, I'll give you an example. Do you remember the senator or congressman who was um, – they were talking to about killing his aide? Yeah. In California back in like 2000 – late 2000, early 2001? Uh-huh. Okay. Have you heard anything about that after 9-11? No. Exactly. So we're waiting for Ozymandias to do something to the planet so I can get away scot-free. And who better who better than these people? The people who are in control of our 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 our, our, our basically our country. We don't have power anymore. Okay, we I, don't have power. All right, ten caps yeah, aside. On. I know ten caps aside here though. I want to trust my bottle metal. Okay, this is, I want to bring up an interesting kind of argument. Back in the 1940s, we'll just start back there. Okay, the 1940s, um, the FBI. And the CIA – well, the intelligence community that hadn't really formed a good acronyms yet. I think there was the OSS and kind of all kinds of different names. But back in the 1940s – Yeah, there, there was a lot of POSs back in the 1940s, including uh, – never mind. I'm not going to talk about Hudson cars or anything. Uh, moving on. Um, in the 1940s, these institutions were set up in a time where America was very pro-white and – as they developed, as they legitimized into the institutions that they became in that, those first nascent early days, Ron, would you like to say that let's, – let's just call the political machinations of the intelligence community as keeping the man in charge. Would you agree? For the most part. 
Well, here's the. I, mean, I love, I love, F, I love FDR. Don't get me wrong, but I have a feeling that he knew about Pearl Harbor before it happened and <laughs> let it happen. Oh God! Well, there's a lot of history that supports that, but not quite in the conspiratorial, scary way. Yeah, he was told uh, about it a lot. And they kind of took that intelligence as being the rambling of a general that just wanted to spend money, not so much as, oh, my God, this is a guy that literally went to Japan, knew the escalations, showed up in Hawaii two years before the attack and said, uh, this place is terrible. And that discounts that 14 years before the attack on Pearl Harbor, right at the end of the first Great War, another United States general came to the territory of Hawaii, looked at Pearl Harbor and said, the Japanese will attack this by going up a northern Pacific route where we cannot track them. Pearl Harbor is absolutely vulnerable. The attack will happen on a Sunday at 7 a.m. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that prediction was made 14 years before Pearl Harbor actually happened. So when we talk about did people have an active knowing, did they know, yeah, yeah, sure. It's not conspiratorial at all. However, in that age of information versus the age of information now, information back then couldn't be as easily validated. And so over the years, institutions have matured. Ron, here's a question for you. As the OSS and stuff started to go into the FBI, and let's, let's skip a decade or so and, and talk about one of the reasons the FBI and the intelligence community has the reputation that it does in the minority communities in the United States. What's your opinion on J. Edgar Hoover? Well, he had quite the fashion sense with the things he bought from Victoria's Secret. <laughs> um, I think he anybody who posed any kind of threat to him or he saw as a threat to the country, he would go after uh, for ridiculous reasons. Um, I mentioned it before, Charlie Chaplin. Mm -hmm. But I want to bring this up. J. Edgar Hoover's thought of the country was the white people, was it not? Oh, without a question. He that Back then – um, white was right, and I think now um, it's it's okay to say that now because Trump is president. You know, racism never went away; it just kind of got pushed down, so we didn't see it. But now, instead of wearing Confederate flag underwear, people can wear Confederate flag shirts. The racism isn't casual anymore; it's it's out there; it's prevalent. And well, the thing is, is in the early days of the intelligence community, a lot of people in minority communities would tell you. Hey, they had on their rebel flag T-shirts openly. They were open institutions of oppression. Oh, without question. I mean, I mean, it's just uh, it's it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, I, I would. I mean, look at it this way. Uh, Hoover had a file on MLK. Yeah, he's the one that looked into MLK's affairs and things like that, so that he could. <gasps> Write a letter convincing MLK to kill himself before these things became public. That's how creepy Hoover was. Yeah. He tried to convince MLK to kill himself. And he also wore a really odd cut of panty, but that's a whole other story. 
Okay. Oh, one of these days I'm going to have to tell you how that story is really fake and it was invented by a senator because he really hated Hoover. Uh, but well, he, I like that senator then. Okay, yeah, because think about it. That's most of what people remember about J. Edgar Hoover is this thing that was completely made up on the spot from this guy that was like, screw Hoover, he's a cross-dresser. But um, here's the thing. Republicans now are saying that this institution that, like I said, we're talking about the history way back when, now let's fast forward to the present day. Those institutions back then were pro-white. They were pro-country, and that country consisted of only white people. We've always had this, this dual nation thing of colony versus nation in the United States, colony being the minorities that suffer under the nation rule, nation being the people that have the rules, but also benefit from all of the systems of infrastructure and stuff like that. It's it's a very long and complicated thing that I'm not going to get into because Ron will fall asleep during the course of it. So back to this whole institution thing. Ron, back then – I'm sorry. I was asleep. What? Okay. Uh, back then, uh, the FBI uh, – back then, the FBI what? yeah was openly kind of racist towards minorities – as they have grown and matured, these institutions, independently of government oversight and anything, all often their own, have also evolved, whereas they now see their job. And this is a great thing. From the time period they were to the time period they are now, they now see their job as enforce rule of law for every American citizen. And Ron, here's where the disconnect comes in with the Republicans now. Because <clears throat> the FBI is actually being, and the Intelligence Community Department of Justice is actually being more fair across the board, are Republicans seeing racial equality as an attack on them, their institutions, and their president? I could get long-winded. I could come up with this big giant soliloquy but i'm just gonna say yes mm, it, it does seem like that here's the thing when we see this attack from trump and from trump's base against the intelligence community if we look at everything that we brought up today ron whose side do you fall on oh man i mean I'd have to get a little weird and just be on the side of Robert Mueller. Mm, wouldn't you? Wouldn't, and see, that's the thing, is that position used to not be weird. Uh, remember how embracing the GOP base was when Kenneth Starr opened up his investigation into Bill Clinton and the special prosecutor law got rewritten around that time to kind of change things so that they're different now that Robert Mueller's doing it, but – Democrats had a big, big problem with Republicans going, ooh, yes, special prosecutor. And you would think that Republicans, as salacious as they were over Kenneth Starr, would also equally employ, uh, applaud any special prosecutor because at the end of the day, if they support the special prosecutor, they come off as the party of law and order, correct? Well, first off, the, the party of law and order is headed up by Sam Waterston. Mm. Um, but uh, I think they would want – you'd think that they would want to support Robert Mueller to look like they're for law and order. But 
deep down, you'd think that the GOP would want Mike Pence in office because Mike Pence, of all the candidates that were out there, he's the one who kind of encapsulates their whole, you know, their whole uh, uh, tagline, you know, about morals and such and, and whatnot. You figure they'd want Mike Pence in office and they just use Trump to, to like to say, hey, this is how bad it could get. Let's bring in Race Bannon. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Stacey. I know, right? She's like, I can never watch Johnny Quest again. Um, look, besides racist Bannon, um, here's the thing. The intelligence community is now being attacked by the very people that said in past they they supported it. However, in minority communities, and this is this is where we've got to do the whole weird, let's cross entertainment and political news in the weirdest way possible – SNL over the weekend had this cold open that found two very polar opposite people in strange bedfellows with each other because the Republican line of attack on the intelligence community is starting to mirror the attack of the black community a la Louis Farrakhan and others. And watching that skit, it was funny, don't get me wrong, SNL is pretty good at the writing this year and that was one of the best cold uh, cold openings i'd seen in a while but the political commentary stuck with me ron is it weird and will republicans eventually have to reconcile their feelings about this that their attitudes towards the intelligence community and the justice community now mirror the minorities those institutions were set up to keep oppressed I mean, this is a case of strange bedfellows at its worst. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is way worse than the time I woke up with that donkey in my bed. But um, I, I don't want to know what you did in Tijuana. <laughs> Everybody hey, does their own vacation. When in Rome, you will lose the Romans, and when in hell, you do shots at the bar. But um, I, I think that this is only just going to get weirder. And weirder and weirder before anything starts to make sense. Now, this is the thing, too, is because, like I said, this all kind of comes back to this cold open that SNL did that was very funny, by the way. But it had Louis Farrakhan sitting on Fox and Friends going, I have no idea why I'm on your show. They have the exact same ideas about the intelligence role in their communities, but... Will Republicans ever go back to minorities and be like, yeah, we, we, we're sorry. Now, now that it's being done to us, we, we apologize. Will that ever happen? No, it, I don't. It's going you know, to be, it's gonna be those, it's, it's the whole uh, – the uh, enemy of my friend uh, – yeah, the, the friend of my The hospital. enemy of the you know enemy is my friend. Yes, yes. Exactly. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's exactly how this is working right now. It is. And once it's all said and done, once it's all said and done, they're going to go back to to marginalizing minorities, and uh, we'll be back to our ridiculously horrible status quo in this country. Now, this is the thing that you got to kind of ask too: is will these minorities now look at this this white movement of people saying "Don't trust the man" and be like, "Nah, you still the man." Yeah, that's. I just. I. You know, I remember when uh, when Trump called all those countries what he called them and said, why can't we get more people who, like from Norway? And it makes me think, 
Um, does Norway accepting citizenship applications? <laughs> yeah, no, this is the funny thing. Norway looks at our standard of life and goes, one, why would we move there? I, they they probably say it like the Swedish chef, but I ain't got time for accents today. Um, but two, when they think of people from the United States coming to them, hey, guys, <clears throat> I hate to deflate your ego, but they're like, ew, Americans? So, Ron, when it comes to America being the, the country of immigrants that we were historically and the country that has been built up thanks to to the ingenuity of all these immigrants coming together <sighs> when it comes to republicans attack on the institution of the intelligence community how safe will we really be not trusting the people that are supposed to vet our immigrants in the first place oh boy such posing questions so early in the morning. <laughs> You're well, it's not early here. Yeah, it's not early uh, there. And remember, well, I, I, you still got a second show to do today. Yeah, I have a late night show, so I mean, I'm not supposed to be awake right now. But um, uh, it's, I think you have to do the whole uh, what Stone Cold Steve Austin used to do, mm-hmm. which is uh, DTA. Oh. Don't trust anybody. Ooh. And and see, I hate to agree with you on that because I come from the stand uh, the, the the standpoint of institutions are institutions because there has been some general consensus that those things benefit the general populace. However, in light of the stuff that we know about certain institutions, <clears throat> I'm not talking about the intelligence community. Like I said, over the years, they've evolved and they've become a lot more transparent and fair than they ever have. But when it comes to people like Trump and and their intentions towards trying to marginalize these people, DTA, yeah, becomes CYA. Yeah, I mean, you can't uh, – I just – this whole – it's – whenever I hear the cheeseburger's real name – my stomach starts to hurt, mm. and I feel like I have to make, um, and or it could be a cheeseburger I ate. I don't know, but but every time I turn on the news, it's one bad thing after another. And they he talks about making America great. Everybody's like, oh, party or you know, a country over party, like or before party, and it's just not that way. And this whole country is is based on if it isn't making dollars. It isn't making sense. No, and that's a terrible thing because a lot of the ways that we have chosen to make daughter, uh, dollars off of oppressing others <gasps> never made any much damn sense. And and that's that's one of the things, too. Donald Trump and his ilk do attack these institutions now because, Ron, and i got to ask you this, make America great again. Is it secretly make America white again? Of course it is. Because when was this country great? When? And, and at no point in this country's history have minorities not been marginalized. Mm. You want to make America great again? Why don't we make everybody equal? Everybody. Regardless of race, creed, color, sexual orientation, whether or not they enjoy time with a donkey. I mean, come on. And see, that's just it. The, the intelligence community kind of goes along with that thought. Look, let everybody be... 
and, you know, we'll worry about national security. However, Republicans are like, no, 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 no. These are moralistic things, and now we have to dictate lifestyle. Ron, final couple of seconds here in the show. Is dictating lifestyle a winning formula? Oh, God, no, sir. No, and and, and Trump seeking to marginalize the intelligence community, doesn't that seem like he's trying to, uh, like a predator like Harvey Weinstein would do, groom us? I think at this point, if there's dirt on the finger, we need to cut off the hand. Yikes. I hate to say it, but I think you're true. Hey, uh, real quick, because we only got a couple of seconds left. Um, Tonight is the debut of your show, and I have to say this with big warning. It's not safe for the workplace. It's really not. It's at RadioNope.com at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central Time. I'll be interviewing Strangers in Paradise uh, creator Terry Moore. We, uh, we're going to have a nice little chat there, and I'm going to go off on Weinstein and Tarantino way more than I did here. Yeah, well, thank you for being on the show and going off on as much as you did, respectfully. I try. All right. Yeah. All right, until the next show, guys. Love you, mean it. Take care of yourselves. Kate and bye.